Thanks for joining us on West Country Women, the new podcast with Alexis Bowater. Celebrating everybody's business and showcasing women across the West Country region. If you're listening, please follow and rate us five stars. Or if you're watching, make sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Produced and supported by Fresh Air Studios. Thank you very much for coming. Bring my own tea. There we go. You're going to have to talk me through that. Why have you brought your own tea instead of having one that I made you? Because I'm very northern (laughs) and the way I drink tea mostly disgusts southern people because I will leave the tea bag in and then at the very end I will drain the tea bag and drink the dregs which even my mother thought was disgusting. But I believe if you're going to go for tannins, get them in there. Don't fanny around putting a tea bag somewhere near the kettle. That's not making tea. It's just easy to bring my own. Well, I'm just very glad to hear that you're a good Yorkshire lass, basically. Thank you. (laughs) That's the most offensive thing you've said so far. I think you're going to have to shoot. I am so sorry. I'm aware of the fact that that's a very offensive thing to say. That's very similar to the Devon Cornwall thing. Uh, Yeah, it is. We won't get into scones. Having uh, said that, you must have heard far more offensive things on the building sites that you are in control of. Absolutely. There is absolutely no way that you can do the job I do without literally every effing and jeffing word that's out there. There's only one word that I don't approve of, and that begins with C. Cornwall. (laughs) which usually it can be a bit of a problem, especially if you've got a lot of Irish contractors because it's a very go-to swear word in the Irish vernacular. Yeah. You give as good as you get and you rise above it. That's all you can do. Talk us through how you and I know each other. I mean, basically, you were our winner, weren't you, of construction and property. And the first time I actually met you was on the night that you raised your trophy and started to talk to myself and our entire audience, who's slightly squiffy on champagne, about hairy-arsed builders. Hairy-arsed builders. Tell me about your life with hairy-arsed builders. I started 26, oh God, I'm so old. 26 <laughs> years ago, I qualified as a health and safety advisor, manager, consultant. I went through the whole process. And then about seven years ago, I left my consultancy firm that I was working for, which is C2 Safety, who are the mothership of C2 Projects, who I now work for. And I went to work for a Ministry of Defence organisation, a contract that fed into the Ministry of Defence, let's put it that way. Big do's, little do's, redundancy. And that coincided with a guy called Jerome Timbrell, who runs C2 Safety, getting some local projects out of Rolls-Royce in Filton. Mm -hmm. A lot of the subsidies that a lot of the big businesses in the southwest will get will be fine, you can bring your contractors in from all over the country, but you've got to have the designated number of local contractors to get the subsidy from a West Country base. So a lot of the jobs we've got are because of that and... Jerome is very good at marketing C2 and going out and doing it that way. So he started to ring me to say, do you want to come back? Mm. Because I had the right qualifications, the right clearances that were needed for other jobs I'd done in the past, but mostly qualifications and experience. Mm. And he sucked me back into the world of project safety, which is a bit different from your everyday jobbing health and safety. I do shout at forklift truck drivers, I do shout at builders, but I'm not the one that's there, you know, spotting trip hazards and ticking lists, which is a part of the old job. And I've just kind of sunk into this project and engineering 
safety. Mm-hmm. And as for meeting you guys, I didn't know anything about because I live my life in a bubble. Yeah. I live my life in a construction engineering bubble and I never come out. And it was actually C2 who noticed that these awards were coming up. They said to me, oh, go for it. And I said, well, A, I'm not going to nominate myself because that's slightly arrogant. Yeah. And I went, well, you write it and we'll send it in. And I was like, no, yeah. equally, slightly <laughs> arrogant, not going to happen. So they did it. Yeah. And unfortunately, I couldn't come to any of the prelims because my mother was not well in Lancashire. So a few days after she died, I suddenly was, that's absolutely fine. It's a long time coming. We're very pragmatic about these things, you know. She went in her own way and of her own choice, so it's fine. A few days later, I'm stood in a very nice posh hotel in a frock, (laughs) which for me to be in a frock in itself is quite an event, (laughs) making something up on the fly, which I actually need to pull you guys up about this. (laughs) You're telling me off? Yes. Excellent. Because... (laughs) Obviously, I went with another representative of another company under the C2 this umbrella. Oh, yeah, this is brilliant feedback. Believe you me, once you started me, I won't stop. That's fine. Somebody will have to go and move my car in two hours. <laughs> Nobody had said to any of us, any of the nominees, yeah. there is a chance that you might have to make a fairly in-depth speech. Now, I don't know whether that was your plan yeah. for people to do a speech, but yeah. the first lady that won yeah. really did get up and gave it some laldy. And I'm sat there going, <laughs> me. You know, now... It's quite obvious that I can talk for a living. (laughs) I've never been shy about coming forward. But I suddenly thought, my brain is not in this. (laughs) You know, I was literally three days away from switching the light off on my mother, drove all the way back down from Lancashire. Mm. So when you called my name, my first actual reaction, and I was sat with some lovely ladies from all over the place, was just like, I've got to make something up. So my standard go-to phrase is, I deal with hairy-ass builders. Yeah, it was magic. And I just thought, well, I've got to get hairy-ass builders in there somewhere just to make people laugh. Yeah, yeah. My go-to training and way of communicating, especially being a woman in a very male-dominated environment, is humour. You can burn your bra as much as you like, but you'll not get anywhere. So you've got to get in at their level, put up with some of the but you give it back. Yeah. You know, I have no problem talking about hairy ass builders or looking at somebody and saying, get your man muscles out. What are you? You know, go on, are you man or a mouse? Get your man muscles out. Yeah. And people go, you can't say that. And I'm like, well, why not? But this was part of the, what you were talking about in the speech that night, actually. Mm. You came in really heavy on it. I mean, of course, you got everybody on side the minute you started talking about hairy ass builders. But of course, you know, you're the winner of our women in construction and property category. And like you say, it's not common to have a woman in your position and you spoke about this in your speech tell me more due to the fact i do like to do a bit of homework Mm -hmm. not much obviously because my brain switches off as i would drive out the site i looked up some office of national statistics basically and they reckon that only 15 percent of the construction workforce is female now, some of the industry professionals and the industry, you know, associations reckon it's actually more like 11%, but right. regardless. So let's say between 11 and 15%. But that also includes, let's take, for example, let's do a quick name drop, Brandon's Building Suppliers or right. Screwfix or oh, whoever, I see. whoever. Oh, I whoever. see. Okay. So things that are nearly retail. Yeah. So that 11 to 15% is actually mostly office. They actually think that approximately 1% of all people on site getting dirty feet are women. That's shocking. It is shocking. And there's several reasons for it. And it's something that I've 
railed against for, well, many, many years. But I'm a great believer in you get more flies with honey. So you can't fight the system. You've got to get in the system and then chip away at it from inside. Mm-hmm. And if you happen to kick the odd arse along the way, hey-ho, life's good. Yeah. So it's just one of those things, you've got to get in there. There is definitely a growth. Mm -hmm. However, while the established mentality is still within the older generation of the builders, it's very hard to chip away. Mm -hmm. And as a young woman coming in, you are immediately, I'm not saying across the board at all, because there are some brilliant companies now that kind of go, actually, we need somebody like this to come in. Some of the old school thinkers... As a younger woman, you don't get a look in. Somebody of my age yeah. and my bolshiness and my accent, weirdly, the accent works very well for me. Does it? Yeah. Do you really notice that? Yeah. I used to work at corporate level in London yeah. in a previous existence and yeah. I can do BBC English and I can do Lancashire and I can do deep Lancashire. This is not a Lancashire accent. This is a 30 years watered down Lancashire accent. Okay. I go home and talk to some of my siblings and they talk just right like that. And I'm going, excuse me, what are you saying to me? But the accent helps. If you go in all toffee and, oh, yes, no, absolutely, you know, BBC English, they're going to look at you and go, yeah, no, go away. Wow. So the accent and my age Mm -hmm. and my disposition, obviously, Mm -hmm. helps. Mm -hmm. Young women find it hard at times because they just look tan as, oh, you're just a girl. Just a girl. I've been told many a time, oh, you're just a woman. And I'm like, right, come here. And I'm going to get quite graphic now. I have been known to stand in a meeting when what happens a lot in construction meetings is it's a penis measuring competition. Yeah. A lot of it is. Contractor on contractor on project manager on... And it's all IG-BIG. Yeah. And at the end, they'll just whap them out on the table figuratively and go, right, I've got the biggest penis. So my way of shutting that down has always been... Because I'm called, it's a thing under CDM, Construction Design Management Regulations, called the Principal Contractor. Yeah. The Principal Contractor sits under the client, under the Principal Designer, but above everybody else. Mm -hmm. And he's basically the policeman of the site. That's you. That would be me. You are the copper. So I'm the one that can kick people off, that can red card people off site, that can say, you're not coming on site until you send me the proper rams, risk assessment. And what you say goes. Yeah, because I have the legal power at that point and the insurances to back it up and this liabilities that move slightly from client to us but not completely but it's it's quite illegal and technical but at that level I'm the one that says yes off or no you can come on so quite often in a meeting when they're doing the penis measuring competition I'll just stand there and say right well just to let you know boys I've got the biggest one here and I don't even bloody have one so shut up and get on with it you know and they look at you and the fact that a woman would say penis anyway they always kind of go oh, oh really yeah oh yeah and does then that they get stop to... them instantaneously oh, and then they get to know me and they laugh at it but they know that I might be laughing but yeah 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 inside. but you're not to be messed with though. oh yeah you don't mess with us the other women that I have met out in the world that's in health and safety you've got to be a certain character yeah you've got to be slightly forceful and I really but across don't... the board or just in construction no, I think across the board. Yeah, yeah. Weirdly, the company that I obviously work with, C2 Projects, but C2 Safety, are 50-50 split women to men advisors, which is very unusual in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I've not given you a chance to actually speak so No, far. it's fine. I'm just doing a fine job of listening. <laughs> I enjoy this bit. 
When I started back down in the southeast back in 96, 97, mm -hmm. I went to my first IOSH professional meeting, mm -hmm. which obviously in this day and age we'd call it a big networking meeting. Yeah. I'm not very good at networking meetings. Anyway, I showed up and I walked into a room of possibly... 250, 300 people in this room. Right. It was London. Everybody's yeah. suited and booted. It's all the grey suits. Everybody looks the same. It's that handmaid's tale for businessmen, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Bear in mind, at this point, I've always been one of life's larger ladies. I walked in and half the room just went... And I thought, OK. And I started looking around for women and I saw three women. And they were stood by the coffee table and they were stood in a little huddle and I just walked straight up to them and I went, hello, how do you do? It went very Lancashire on them. Yeah. And they were like, oh, I know, it's fine. I said, are we not? Oh, well, we did. I thought, this. Yeah. So I just picked up a cup of tea and just walked in. And I just thought, this is not right. That was the mid-90s. And it probably wasn't a perfect example of the way it was. I mean, there were a lot of women in the industry mm. at that point. But it was just very much... The attitude, you felt it as you walked in the room. Yeah. There were men of a certain age, of a certain disposition. Yeah. But have they gone now or are they still hanging on? They are mostly gone. Are they? And that's the good thing. And when they're gone, so in 10 years' time when they've completely gone... It's a well, whole different kettle of fish. What will happen then? Well, the female numbers have risen dramatically. Have they already? Yeah, absolutely. Over the last 20 years, the female figures in health and safety have gone through the roof. Yeah. Comparatively. Yeah. You will always get the dinosaurs. Yeah. There are dinosaurs that hang on for dear life. And then there's a wonderful concept in the health and safety world of inherited dinosaurs. Oh. So if you think about it this way, the Health and Safety at Work Act was 1974. Right. 50 years ago. So anybody that was working at the time of the health Health and Safety at Work Act, fully employed, let's say 16 years old. But anybody that was in work prior to the Health and Safety at Work Act may have a bit of an argument. But anybody after that, you've had health and safety in your working lives all your all life. life. Why is it still an issue? Yeah. You don't whinge about HR, you don't whinge about payroll, you don't whinge about, well, I whinge about quality because I can't be doing with it. Yeah. But there are management systems in place they don't whinge about. Mm -hmm. But health and safety is one of the things they do. Why? Why? No, why? What is the psychology of somebody uh, this is where moaning about something that's going to save their life? Because it's not going to happen to them. Oh, really? Yeah. Until it does. There's a theory, it's called the human factors. Mm -hmm. And it might sound sexist and it might sound anti-misogynistic. I have no idea what the feminine version of misogynistic is. Men under 40 think they are immortal. Which is why they drive the cars the way they drive the cars, which is why they'll go bungee jumping or, you know, until their joints start to go, until they suddenly go, oh, my God, I've got three kids and I can't bend down anymore because my knee's gone. Mm -hmm. They suddenly go, I'm not immortal. And there's a lot of that in the workplace. It mm -hmm. won't happen to me. I'm a fit young bloke. I can jump from scaffold yeah. to scaffold it until it happened. does. Or until sometimes when it happens to one of their mates. But even then, that was because he was a and it wasn't because yeah, 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 yeah. he jumped off a 30-foot scaffold pole because he thought he could do it. You know that's happened. Oh, it happens all the time. What you know? kind of risk do people take? Oh, if we start at the basic, yeah. not wearing the PPE. Oh, I don't need to wear a hard hat. Well, a hard hat's not going to stop a girder from falling off a crane and hitting me. No, it's not. But it will stop the bit of stone that's tucked into that girder because it's been sat on gravel for three weeks, falling off, hitting you on the head yeah. and giving you a concussion or yeah. a serious brain injury. Feet's always a big one. I'm always like, well, put some proper bloody boots on. Oh, it's all right. I'm just crossing the yard. I'm just doing this, just doing that. Yeah. 
we're back to the inherited dinosaur stuff. If you come into any business, you piggyback onto somebody else. So you work with somebody who's older and better and knows teach how to do it. If you were trained by a dinosaur who decided a long time ago that he was a man, therefore he would not wear sun cream, even though it was 37 degrees outside, he'd just go nut brown. And then if he got sunburn, well, that's just him being a man. Mm. If that person then trains an apprentice yeah. who then trains another apprentice, yeah. that inherited dinosaurness yeah. can travel and it has travelled. Yeah. And you get it right across the board, whether it's wearing the right gear, safe working practices. I've seen many a sparky take a shortcut. It's called lock off, tag off. Mm-hmm. So if you're working on live electrics, you go back to the panel, you lock it off, you tag it off. There's one key to the padlock, you have it in your hand, nobody can switch it on by accident until you've finished. Oh, I'm not locking. Oh, no, it's fine. It'll only be two minutes. I'll work live. And then what happens? People die. People get electrocuted. Same if you're inside a massive piece of equipment. The amount of people across this country who've had arms and legs ripped off or have lost their lives completely because they're inside a machine Mm. and somebody's come along and gone, oh, why is that switched off? Press the start button. Arm gone, leg gone. How many lives have you saved, Carol, just by doing your job properly? This is the problem with health and safety, Mm. is you can't prove that somebody would have died. Mm -hmm. So even in the littlest accident, whether it's just nipping a finger on a piece of barbed wire or slamming it between two pieces of fence panel or getting a concrete burn down your welly, Mm -hmm. you can't prove that somebody didn't die because of something. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yes, if there was a massive event, a crane collapse, for example, mm-hmm. and you can turn around and say, well, if we hadn't cordoned off the area, if we hadn't done the proper lifting plans, etc., mm-hmm. something dire would have happened. But you can't prove it. And it's always been the biggest bugbear in the world because you can't prove that your job is working. Yeah, that the it's fact not is measurable. nothing happens because your job is doing what it should do. But that's an interesting outcome, mm. isn't it, for any it's, job? Yeah. So what's it's, the best outcome? Nothing. The best outcome, and I say this on site all the time, I do have to get a bit shouty, a lot. But what I say to all the contracts is the best way for you to do your job is to not make me do my job. Yeah. If I have to sit at my desk making up things to do, building another Excel spreadsheet or doing something, then I'm doing my job because you're doing your job. When I need to get shouty, that's when something's not working properly. What's the job you've been most proud of? We've done some work for Rolls-Royce. I won't go into details, but building things like engine test beds... You know, and you look at the engineering in it and you just think, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. We've built kennels for dog rescue centres. Nice. Which was really interesting because I spent most of the time with a spare cat or a dog sitting on my computer because all the rescue animals used to come into the office just yeah. for a bit of airing. Or the work I've been doing for the last four years, which is building food factories, yeah. which is not everybody's cup of tea, yeah. but the realism of life is if you eat meat... There Mm -hmm. is a process and that process has to be respected. It has to be done safely, cleanly, with respect to the animals. Yeah. I finished my last project yesterday, so Mm -hmm. I packed up my car and left site. And every time I do that, I actually think, well, actually, look what we've done. We've built that extension. We've built a new working environment. If that factory gets multi-million pound contracts from a supermarket because of the new clean environment, then that's great. People are working, decent food's going into the population and Mm. every single thing is something to be proud of and you're pivotal to all of that aren't you well i am part of the process yeah let's put it that way you know you painted such an amazing picture of what it's like to work on a construction site with all these chaps (laughs) and (laughs) 
<laughs> men, bless them. Only 1% of the people on site being women. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the actual practicalities of working in construction for women? <laughs> the most obvious one is toilets. Oh. Which sounds a bit weird. And I alluded to this in my speech. I recall. Uh, yes. Yeah. And that's part of the reason I want yes. you to elaborate on all of this, because this is something that people don't they talk don't about. don't think about. No. Yeah. The one thing you do not want to do as a woman, unless you have a very, I mean, I've got a very strong constitution, but even there are times that even I go, not on your Nelly, <laughs> is go to a construction site toilet okay. where there is no facility for female staff. Mm-hmm. Because they tend to be, you know, these portaloos you see by the side of the road. Mm-hmm. They are those. They are emptied one to two weeks. Mm. Men, as we know, couldn't aim if their life depended on it. <laughs> you need to keep your boots on because you don't know what you're walking through. Oh. And as a woman, let's get a bit graphic here. You need to learn how to hover. Oh, it's little things like that. There are quite a few health and safety advisors out there in the world who will have clients who are builders who once a month, once a quarter, whatever, will go out and do a site visit. And they all know that they stop at a supermarket five minutes before, go to the loo, and then go back to the supermarket on the way out to use their loo. Because Is that one of the secrets of the trade? Yeah. If you're ever five minutes from site, find a supermarket or a garage, use the loo there. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I make sure whenever I'm there legally, once I come onto site, they have to provide female toilets. You can't have a double gender toilet. Mm-hmm. So that always works well for me because it's one of my sticking points. Because yeah, yeah. I'm usually the only woman on site. Yeah. I usually have the key around my neck. So I know it's clean in there because I'm the only one using it and I go in there and clean it. So I'm always like, that's fine. So it's little things like that. You've got to be very aware of the language and the terminology that will be used. Sexism is not as rife as it used to be, but swearing is constant. Mm -hmm. And often it's very Mm un-PC. You hear a lot of things that are un-PC. And I do call them on it occasionally. I'll just Mm -hmm. like, oi, right, enough, you know. And there has to be a resilience as a female in construction. Mm. One of my projects, I won't say which one, but we've been working in an open gut yard mm-hmm. in an abattoir mm-hmm. so as you're standing there surrounded by animal parts and mm-hmm. guts in trenches that have overflowed out of something that you've got to scoop out before you can pour concrete well not me personally obviously mm-hmm. i don't do it i stand there and watch yeah. but you've got to be there you've got to yeah, smell yeah. it you've got to look at it and if you go all kind of oh girly yeah you're not going to last long but surely though that kind of ingrained misogyny is one of the big barriers to women going into construction and property it in is. the first place massively so how do you change that i know you've been talking about you know you get more flies with honey but sometimes surely you have to oh sometimes you have to stand there and and call them out and i've done that in the past i've got a brilliant story for you actually um, (laughs) when i've told my friends this they've gone oh my god that's so you about two years ago i was on a project and i was inducting a crane driver onto Mm -hmm. site now Mm -hmm. the crane driver was a man of a certain age he has subsequently retired fairly shortly after he was on my site to tell you the truth Anyway, so I did the induction. Usually you do it in the office, sit them down, but we were outside. He was setting up his crane. I said, look, give me five minutes. We'll do your induction here on site. Bosh, we're gone. And as I'm doing the usual spiel, there's no smoking, I noticed he was not looking at my face. Guess where he was looking? Oh, well, let me guess. About a foot further down. Yeah. At which point, me being me, said, right, three things. A, face is up here. B, they're not bloody worth looking at. And see, it's 2021, you're misogical. Now, get on with it. And he laughed and I thought, I've got you. 
Yeah, well done. Because I made him laugh and I called him out and yeah. he went, well, fair enough. It is hard. And sometimes you can do that and you'll still get bloody women. Yeah. You know, and the amount of times that I've been called a d- yeah. because that's their go-to. Mm-hmm. If they don't feel attracted to you or if they think you're not reciprocating what they're putting out there, you must be a lesbian. And I'm like, A, none of your business. Yeah. B, I'm not. Yeah. But C, get over yourself. This is West Country Women. Thank you for joining us so far. If you want to learn about the awards, our community directory, or this new podcast, please head to westcountrywomen.co.uk. We're on all the social media channels too, at The Women Awards. You can find, follow, and like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. And don't forget to follow and rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts and like and subscribe on YouTube. But it's interesting, isn't it? You know, you've timestamped that to 2021. We're sitting here and it's 2023. You're talking to me about attitudes that, yeah. you know, you would have thought would have been erased by the mid-1980s or hopefully. Well, they are being erased. This is the thing. This is why I kind of prefaced it by saying yeah. he was a man near retirement. I see. OK. It is still out there, yeah. but it's a lot less. And I personally, as a woman now in my 50s, yeah. I don't get it anymore. You yeah. know, and yeah, quite yeah, grateful yeah. I don't get it anymore. I might get the odd flirty flirt, but I'm just like, yeah, get over yourself, yeah, yeah. move on. Yeah. But what I feel for is the younger women coming through. Yeah. So they graduate with wonderful degrees in engineering yeah. and construction, yeah, yeah, yeah. project management. And they're still facing this wall of little grey men with little grey attitudes or the inherited little grey men, you know, who are still at top management level. But surely this is something that the industry as a whole ought to be addressing vastly. Absolutely. Absolutely. How would they do that? I mean, how would you like to see them do that? One of the good things is, you'll probably know the stats better than me, but the rise of women at director level, at boardroom level. If I remember rightly, and I'm not a member of IOSH, the Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. I'm a member of a different professional body. Mm. But if I remember rightly, I think the new head of IOSH is a woman. Right. And I think she's been in situ now for a few years. Yeah. And really, you've got to hit it from both ends at the same time. Yeah. You've got to have the woman in enough power at the top to be able to say, Oi, dinosaur, you're extinct, <laughs> off. And you've got to have people like me at the ground floor saying, right, whap your penis away before I chop it off. Yeah. Because we're coming and try and meet in the middle. Yeah. And I always think there's a definite responsibility of somebody of my generation and of my work standing after 20 odd years Mm -hmm. that we have to make sure that if we do get a woman on site you know I've had contractors who've brought females onto site steel erectors a female steel erector I was like yes thank god for that we've got a female steel erector brilliant you know but any comments that come not from her team because they knew what she could do yeah any comments would come nip them in the bud immediately yeah you know and just say oi you know you might be a sparky yeah you couldn't do that she's doing that Oh, I could do that. I said, no, you couldn't. You know, you've got to nip it in the bun. You've got to keep pressure on. But it's very hard. But we need to get women into the upper echelons. Yeah. Do you feel that we are at a tipping point, that there are enough, that things are going to change rapidly now? Or are you still weeding out the dinosaurs? I think the dinosaurs are still there because the original dinosaurs, I used to call them the little grey men. Right. Because what used to happen is that, this sounds so sexist, men would get to a certain age Mm -hmm. in business and they would be, you know, the Bolshe ones, the Mm -hmm. jobs worse that nobody liked. So instead of retiring them or making them redundant, because it would cost too much money because they've been with the factory for 30 years, they pushed them into health and safety. 
Oh, I see. And the health and safety dinosaurs became the little grey man with, weirdly, black and white attitudes. Uh Whereas actually what you need is a black and white society with grey attitudes. Because this is going to sound really quite bad, but in health and safety, if you were completely black and white, nothing would ever get made, nothing Mm. would ever get built, nothing Mm. would ever happen. You've got to learn to be pragmatic. You've got to learn to keep on the side of the law but work around it and with it rather than stick to it like glue because otherwise nothing will ever happen. You know, it's silly things. Like if you made every single scaffolder put on a harness and hook on to every single level of scaffold that he built, which theoretically they should do because they're working at height, you'd never get a scaffold built. If you forced a wagon driver every time he jumped onto the back of his wagon Mm. to put on a harness and click on... Mm so you can move a pallet out the way mm. it's never going to happen so you've got to they call it a dynamic risk assessment mm-hmm. so you might have some stuff written down but you go actually we'll do a dynamic one what's the likelihood of this happening what's the worst that can happen you know and that's the way you get around it but it is complicated it's very hard and pragmatism is the way to go and the dinosaurs predominantly only saw things in black and white but the modern shift has to be now shades of grey working with people not against people you're not the enemy you're somebody there to facilitate safer working but easier working and get the project done and move on yeah which comes back to the conversation 10 minutes ago what i'm proud of every time you finish a project you go nobody died yeah nobody had something chopped off to me that's a big one if you don't lose a limb or a finger or an eye then that's a big one especially in some of the heavy engineering and the construction world there's a lot of stuff out there that will take your finger off there's a lot of stuff out there will get into your eyes and blind you and that's where we need to be that's the pride of it pragmatically get a project to its end thank you very much client shakes your hand you walk away onto the next one and everyone's safe and that's where we are that's where we are in the present yeah so in the future if you had a magic wand an infinite power what one thing would you do to level the playing field more for women in this field? We've got to start tackling kids. Weirdly, actually, I was reading an article yesterday and they did a Leavers interview for anybody under 25 that was leaving the construction industry. Obviously, majority male. The majority of them left because the money wasn't what they wanted. The work was too hard. They didn't see any progression into the future. Mm -hmm. Because if you're a a Mm labourer, you will be a labourer for many a year until you learn to do something other than labouring. So you might become an expert in concrete laying. You might be an expert in scaffolding or steel erection. But until you've learnt your business, you are a labourer. Half of them leave because they don't want to do it. It's too hard because in a world where everything's done on a computer, where you can earn thousands of pounds a week sitting in your chair gaming for a living, why would you go out in all weathers lugging a load of concrete around? Mm. The female side of that has always been women don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Women are nurses, we're administrators, we're office, we're very good at what we do, but stay where you are. Yeah. And I was thinking about this actually the other day in the car. The same attitude that women have had throughout our working history is exactly the same attitude that men get in the similar roles. I don't know what it's like now, but I'm just going back from, you know, when I had friends who were going into weird, you know, 80s, 90s. If a man became a nurse, a lot of patients would go, no, no, I don't want you. Are you a doctor? He was immediately assumed to be a doctor. And if he said, no, I'm the nurse, I don't want you, I want the woman. Yeah. 
we've all heard stories of male administrators going into offices and being absolutely pecked to death by gaggles of women. And a few years ago, actually, on one of the sites I was at, we had some guys came in steel fixing. So what happens is when you pour a big slab of concrete for a car park, you know, something like that, you dig it all out, you level it out, you put your plastic down and then you put donuts, which are big metal rings of wire. And then you put mesh on top of that and that forms the structure for the concrete, you pour the concrete in. So a steel tyre will go in, put the donuts down and then tie the mesh on so it doesn't move. This particular steel fixer, which actually I met his mother a few, weirdly in a completely out of context, at a hospital visit a few weeks ago, and I suddenly went, are you such and such as mother? She went, yes. Anyway, he was a very, very good-looking young man, I have to say. Absolutely. I might be in my 50s, but I'm not dead. He was a very good-looking man. It was the middle of summer, and he did have this predilection for taking his shirt off, and he had a vest underneath. Now, obviously, I didn't react to it whatsoever. However... The women in the office above, every time I walked through the office, mm-hmm. would say, oh, when's such a suck coming back? And I'm like, can you not see the discrepancy of yeah, this, yeah. the disparity of you sit here in office saying, oh, it's a man's world, but the minute a good-looking bloke yeah. is out there in the sunshine, and he knew what he was doing, let's be truthful, the same mm. way that a good-looking woman will know what she's doing. You know, it's all the same, we all do, it's human life. And they couldn't see it, that what they were doing, oh, just a Diet Coke moment. Well, no, it's not. You're sexualising something. Mm-hmm. And OK, he might be kind of going, not quite like this. Mm-hmm. It does work both ways. Now, I know the seesaw is very, very weighted onto one, but we can't deny that it does work mm. both ways. Mm. And the only way we can stop this is how we treat the youth of today. I sound like my mother, don't I? <laughs> the youth of today. <laughs> Where are we in the education that, you know, are we still educating our children to say, well... I know it doesn't happen like it used to be in my day. Like I said, I went to school decades and yeah, decades yeah. ago. Do boys do woodwork and girls do... Yeah, the do. gender stereotypes. The yeah, gender course, stereotyping. Yeah. yeah. You know, or is it now that boys do sciences and do technical drawing? It's not going to help anybody, is no. it? No. You've got to level the playing field at that point. Yeah. And it's how we sell to girls coming into the business. Yeah. That actually, let's say you might not have got the best grades, academia is not your thing. You don't have the option of... Asda McDonald's mm-hmm. going to a temp agency. Actually, why don't you go be a painter and decorator? Yes. Use your practical brain. We've all got a brain. Just yeah. because you can't, you know, write it down doesn't mean that you can't use your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go out there and do something practical. Yeah. Learn how to lay bricks. Learn how to lay concrete. Yeah, yeah. But I don't There's think... There's no reason why they shouldn't. And again, the stats from the apprenticeship schemes are absolutely wide open to why is this whole, why are the technical, the hands-on apprenticeship schemes not being sold harder and harder to girls at education level? And then, of course, it kind of beggars belief that only this morning on Radio 4, they were talking about the migration deficit. Mm. And one of the correspondents said, well, we need them because we're not pushing technical skills anymore of the youth of today. So we need the migrants to come in to take the more technical jobs that we're not doing. I not care. if we've already got people who are not you being know, trained. Yeah. If you go back to the 1940s, 50s and 60s, I come from a part of Lancashire where cotton mills were rife. Yeah. A lot of immigrants were used in the cotton mills. Yeah. And they were brought in because of A, their expertise in cotton, but B, because a lot of the local people wouldn't do it. You're back to the Windrush, you know, they brought more, and the immigrants swept the streets because we don't do that, you know. And are we at that point now where people are going, 
I'm going to sit on my gaming chair for 16 hours a day. I can't be bothered to go lay concrete, get somebody else in to do that. Yeah, That's believe me. Honestly, I could sit here for hours talking to you. That's um, fine, you bet. There seems to be pivotal moments in all people's lives. What was the pivotal moment for you that took the young 14-year-old Carol from having to pay too much more for her bus fare than she was being paid to do her training course in the north of England in a situation where you didn't really see much of a future for yourself at the time to actually being the woman who was listened to on construction sites and you know the winner of our West Country Women Awards and standing on a stage and having a trophy how did that girl get to be this woman? She got bullshit uh-huh. she's always been bullshit I went to a very good school. I went mm-hmm. to a private school. In fact, there's a number of famous people, uh, journalists, etc., that I was being educated with. Mm-hmm. I won't drop names here. But of a certain intellectual level. Mm-hmm. I was intellectual, but I'm also dyslexic. Okay. And that wasn't recognised, so in the end, I wandered. After working around the world for about four or five years, I worked in America, I went over and worked in Europe. I one day showed up at my mum's house after I came back from America and literally packed a rucksack. And she passed me on the drive and she said, where are you going? I went, don't know, I'm going to the ferry, I'll give you a shout. And she went, okay. But I was one of four, she had others at home, so that was fine. And then when I came back from wandering the world, I suddenly went, all my peer group from school have all just graduated university. And I thought, I need to do something. So from somebody with no A-levels, I did a night school course Uh and ended up going straight to a master's degree in sociology in Aberdeen. Fabulous university. I loved Aberdeen University. Degree was lovely. Yeah. Absolutely all used to anybody. (laughs) So the turning point for me was I came home and my father was a pharmacist and his best friend who he was at university with was the editor of the biggest pharmaceutical journal in the country and they happened to be upstaying and of course he lived in the southeast and he worked in the city and we were talking about what the hell do you do with a master's degree in sociology. I wanted to be a criminologist but they didn't work out for all sorts of reasons. And Jimmy Reynolds, he was called, turned around and said, well, the boon in the city at the moment is either HR or health and safety. So this was in the mid-90s. It was called personnel then. It wasn't called HR, it was called personnel. Personnel or health and safety. There's a standard joke I use is that on my CV it actually says, doesn't do sympathy or empathy. And I don't. Mm. I'm just like, if you've chopped your leg off, I will laugh at you. I'll fix you, but I'll laugh at you. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly thought, could I be in personnel? Would I have to be nice to people constantly? At which point all my family burst into laughter and said, no, you couldn't be nice to people with a sharp <laughs> stick. So I fell into health and safety because I suddenly thought, actually, that makes sense. So I did the courses. I ended up working in the southeast, eventually working for the government. And they moved me down to the West Country to take over a Tony Blair quango. And all the time, my entire career, and I'm sure everybody goes through this, you think, right, when I grow up and decide what I want to do... yeah. I'll do it. And then 26 years later, I'm still bloody doing it. And winning awards for it. Oh, winning awards for it. However, the shift has been I stopped doing the day-to-day health and safety grind and started this project work, which actually now is my absolute cup of tea. And that's where I've kind of come to the forefront because being a loud gobby ginger person (laughs) actually works really well for you. Northern helps amazingly the pivotal point for me was weirdly a conversation with a pharmacist who said if you want to make money in the late 90s that was the way to do it that's the way to do it when you stood on that stage i know you were completely blown away and 
lots of things had happened to you in the mm-hmm. few days before. But how did you feel? I was very proud, actually. And I don't get stage fright. I've never got stage fright. I'm a great believer in, if you don't like me, that's your problem, not mine. Mm. And I did feel proud. I did ramble a bit, I have to say. I think one of the bad things is, I told quite a decent joke in the middle of that, but then I just ran over the laughter. <laughs> and I thought, if I was a decent comedian, I would have stopped taking the applause and then carried on. But I was very proud. And I just thought, yes, this is where we need to be. Mm. I was very shocked, to tell you the truth, because I saw the other two ladies. One was yeah. an architect yeah. and, oh, sadly, I can't remember what the other lady was. And I thought, well, being an architect is a damn sight more valid because, you know, I was genuinely surprised. And it was only when you were doing the introduction, you run into it with something <laughs> that we'd written a long time ago about pragmatism and being yeah. bullshit. And I turned to the girl who sat next to me and went, she's talking about me. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, God. And then, as we've already alluded to, because you threw this must-do-a-huge-speech thing (laughs) at us without any warning. Were you really not expecting that? Well, I was expecting a thank you very much, you've got 10 seconds, we'll buzzer buzzer and you're off, but no. We gave you a bit more space than that, didn't we? (laughs) So, yeah, you did. So, yeah, no, I was very proud. We've just launched nominations again this year. What would you say to people who are thinking about entering this year? I would say just do it. Just absolutely do it. I mean, if nothing else, you're going to get a very nice meal, a very nice free little box of chocolates, by the way. They were lovely. What was funny was walking out was how many people had several boxes. <laughs> I thought I only nicked two. I should go they, back and... Lots of people left the gin behind. Did they? still the chocolate. I yeah. don't drink. I don't drink alcohol. Oh. But I took as many gins as I could to just Did give you? to people. <laughs> Your handbag was clinking well, as you went down. It actually worked out real well because my mother's funeral was literally a few weeks afterwards and oh, they were great. still in a handbag. Brilliant. So I was just handing them out in the funeral car. I'll be honest with you, Karen, I'm not sure gin at a funeral is a great idea. No, it was a northern funeral. (laughs) Northern funerals and weddings. If people are not drunk and fighting, then it's not happening. Oh, okay. So you aided and abetted them with the help of the West Country Women Awards. The chocolates alone were worth it. But yeah, what have you got to lose? You know, if nothing else, you get to meet a lot of really nice ladies. I was sat on a table away from the other person that I knew that had come down. Mm. And I got to know some really nice... I'll call them girls because I'm a woman of a certain age, who were just lovely and supportive and we had a really good chat, we had a really good laugh and it was just a nice, nice event. And I am proudly have it on the footer of my email. Dear. Oh, yes. It was nice to be recognised. You know, I'm heading towards retirement and I've got no problems with that whatsoever yeah. and it's just nice occasionally for somebody to go, do you know what? Yeah. You did a bloody good job there. You did. Can yeah. I ask you two, two more questions? questions. One, what would you say to the 12-year-old Carol? I'd say don't get so fat. That would be <laughs> my first one because I was extremely large. And I'd also say don't let the dyslexia and your other educational issues define you. Because mm-hmm. I sit here now with somebody with five degrees, a normal degree, two postgraduate degrees and two master's degrees. Perfect. So... Don't let the school that your father chose for you, who didn't believe there was any such thing as dyslexia, define you. You're bigger and better than that. And just fight the good fight. And what book would you give to people? Your favourite book? Ah, well, there's two books I go back to and neither of them are actually all that politically correct, to tell you the (laughs) truth. If you expect me to come out with some Jane Austen, it's not going to (laughs) happen. There's a Nelson DeMille book... And it was a thriller written in the 1980s called Cathedral. And I don't know why, but I've always found it just takes me out of my brain. It's about an IRA attack on St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Right. Or a book which people think they know that they've probably never read, Roots. 
by Arthur Haley. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. People see the television series and they think, oh, it was very dated. I know they've redone it. But actually, if you read the book, there's an awful lot of history about slavery. Some of it has now been debunked and it's been shown that Arthur Haley was a bit liberal in his making stuff up. But actually, it's two distraction books. Yeah. I will always have a copy of Roots or... I just like big books that just suck you in and that just... Roots and Cathedral. Yeah, take your brain away. Thank you. And finally, you asked me one. Oh, you ready? Go on. Would you rather have a theme song for your life or a constant soundtrack playing in the background? Oh, a theme song. What would it be? Probably what I bloody made up because I do sing. <laughs> I'm part of a choir. I do sing a lot. Can you sing it to me? I don't know. That's put me on the <laughs> oh, spot. Please. Weirdly, I tend to sing a lot of whatever we're learning in choir for that week. Okay. So at the moment, we're singing a very nice Taze, which is a French community song called Bless the Lord, or there's a lovely one called Confitemini Dominum, which I'm going to have at my funeral. Everybody lives, everybody dies, you know. There's no point pulling a face at it, it happens. You've really put me on the spot. I couldn't. That's fine. Well, I'm going to take these to you. I'm going to Google them. I mean, the obvious one is Oh, Carol, I am but a fool. (laughs) If I've been sung that at once in a pub i've been sung a million times as i've walked through the door and i'm like i hate paul anchor whoever bloody wrote it but oh caroline but a fool it's a lovely song yeah well, it's not when you hear it 72 times growing up all oh, right like, that's fair enough you're okay your question is do you have any hidden talents <laughs> no <laughs> you must have a hidden everybody has a hidden talent whether it's the ability to bite your toenail with your mouth or I can actually do that I can suck my own big toe don't ask me how I know that but anyway I'm so going to borrow that as yeah. my hidden talent yeah. alright and You've on got... that note Carol I think now I've pinched your hidden talent I think all I've it's left for me to say is that congratulations thank you very on much on being a West Country Women Awards winner you are amazing and oh, we have you. absolutely loved getting oh, to it's, know it's, you it's been a lot of fun thank yeah. you for having me If you want to find out more about the West Country Women Awards or nominate someone for next year's ceremony, visit westcountrywomenawards.co.uk. The West Country Women Podcast was presented by Alexis Bowater. Copyright West Country Women Awards CIC. Produced and supported by Fresh Air Studios.